welcome to the StoryWorth podcast. We're glad you're here for our special Mother's Day episode. I'm your host, Krista Baum, co-founder of StoryWorth. On this podcast, we feature true stories written by StoryWorth writers. If you're new to StoryWorth, we help people write their life stories, the big stories and the small ones. Once a week, we send our writers a question to help inspire their writing. They reply to the email with an answer or story that comes to mind. At the end of the year, we print what they've written into a beautiful keepsake book. Every story written using StoryWorth is private, but for this podcast, the writers volunteered to share their stories publicly with you. This episode is all about mom, stories about mom and stories by mom. We're celebrating Mother's Day with a handful of some of our favorite portraits of mothers, daughters, and families by StoryWorth writers. Our first story comes from Dr. L. Burt Williams as he answers the question, what was your mom like when you were a kid? Genetics was exceptionally generous to my mother, Mary Lois Hitchcock. She was movie star beautiful. Her auburn hair and green eyes set her apart. Mom was tall, slender, and graceful. Heads turned everywhere we went. She was quick-witted with a razor-sharp analytical mind. Mom didn't have a formal education, but she was a walking compendium of a vast assortment of facts, opinions, and street smarts. She was a product of the Great Depression and was a bona fide member of the greatest generation. She was a prodigious worker and she could sell hairbrushes to a ball man. She was charming and had a sparkling personality. However, if one was foolish enough to cross her, she could instantly reverse course and come at you as an apparition from the bowels of hell. She didn't suffer fools, charlatans, or BS artists. Whining and weakness were not tolerated. The Great Depression forced her toughest. Mom wasn't one to be overly generous with warm fuzzies, but she was a loving, protective overseer of her family. Mom was always involved in every activity we could dream up. She encouraged creative thinking. One day, my pals and I decided to construct a raft from scrap lumber and old inner tubes. With mom's encouragement, we conceived a day-long adventure on rain-swollen Sims Bayou. Without hesitation, she was in on the planning and construction of our project raft. After a day of determined effort, we strapped our craft to the roof of the Studebaker and off we went. We traveled across Houston to the headwaters of the bayou and launched the SS Mary. Mom determined the flow of the bayou to be approximately five miles per hour and calculated we would arrive at the spillway at 4 p.m. Sure enough, at the allotted time, there she was to extract three water-soaked boys from a great adventure. I was reminded often, your mom is so cool and fun. Mom promoted education at every level. She encouraged religion, history, science, math, geography, and on and on. We had two sets of encyclopedias and books galore. If we couldn't find the answer in our home library, she would pack us into the Studebaker and off to the library we would go. Mom taught us how to wax a car, sew, cook, throw a curveball, read a map, garden, paint, manners, and so many skills that made life easier and fun. We learned patriotism and how to pray. We were encouraged to play a musical instrument. Mom made sure we were well-versed in all the necessities of being contributing good citizens. Self-confidence and reliance on our own abilities was a daily lesson. There were many positives to being raised by Mary. With all the good, there were the inevitable setbacks. My dad was killed in an industrial accident on March the 1st, 1956. I was 10 and my sister was eight. Mom had the unenviable task of raising two children alone. 
hours after my dad's funeral, mom called my sister and I together. I'll never forget her words. There is now a different direction for our family. We will always honor your father, but he is gone, never to return. We bury our dead, but we must keep on living. Life will be tougher, but we will endure. That moment set a benchmark for courage and tenacity that our family would live by for all of our lives. Mom passed away January the 12th, 2004. Her legacy lives on in the perpetuation of life's lessons being passed on to our children and grandchildren. We teach Mary's dictum, attitude is everything. Bert, your mom was a real character. You volunteered a lot of stories about your childhood and your mom for the podcast, but there's one in particular you wanted to mention here. <laughs> we had burned down a bunch of porta potties, a bunch of us teenage boys. We raided a construction site and burned all these porta potties down. And I heard her on the phone talking to the neighbor, and the neighbor was accusing me of burning down this porta potty. And she said, No, Dorothy, the boys were camping out last night. They weren't anywhere near that fire. I think it was the Reveille Park boys. Thereafter, the Reveille Park boys were considered to be pyromaniacs, and we got off, or at least we thought we got off. Until years later, my mother and I were sitting around a kitchen table, and she says, remember the time you and your pals burned down all those porta potties <laughs> Oh, my gosh, your mom had her hands full. Yeah, I was a hellcat. Yeah, I was a, I was a, I was a troubled child. Good Lord. Uh, just nonstop pulling stuff on her. And you know what, my... I have a daughter that's the same way. It's, uh, you know, yeah, she's now in her mid-40s, and I swear raising her was like raising a thermonuclear attack. Standing there in the front yard, five years old, yelling, I have rights, I'll sue you, and stuff like that. <laughs> About our next story, I love pancakes, but maybe not as much as our next writer, David Hayes. When I was about six years old, I got it in my mind that I wanted to eat 20 pancakes for breakfast. This was in the summer, and our routine was pretty typical. Get up, put on jeans and a white t-shirt, like every other kid on Staten Island, eat breakfast, and head out to play. Now, our mom made us breakfast every day, and I'm sure it wasn't always the same thing, but for some strange reason, I must have become fixated on pancakes. Maybe I had watched my father down a stack of those things, or I had seen a Western where the sheriff demolished a mountain of flapjacks before ridding Tombstone of the various varmints who threatened his town. I don't know why, but I was determined to eat 20 pancakes. What is a mother supposed to do in this situation? I had no idea, but it was game on for me. And I must have driven her to distraction with those stupid pancakes. Every day I'd have pancakes. And at first I made very little progress. Somehow, though, I found that I was doing better as the days and weeks went by. My mom was encouraging me and complimenting me as I wolfed the pancakes down. I was really scrawny, so she was probably trying to fatten me up a bit. I kept eating more and more of them. And then one day, I made it to 20. I'm sure I was pretty pleased with myself. Six plus decades passed by, and I'm sitting around minding my own business. And this whole thing just jumped into my mind. 
Maybe I was thinking of my mom or of my childhood. No idea. But there it was, the realization that my accomplishment was tainted. You see, as the days and weeks went on, I wasn't eating more pancakes. I was eating smaller pancakes. By the time I hit 20, they were probably the size of quarters. Volume-wise, nothing had changed. As I pictured this scene in my mind's eye, I felt badly that I never got to thank my mother for the incredible gifts she gave me. She knew it was important to me, and she made it happen in a way that I never discovered. I was becoming a big boy, and she was proud of me. That's what a mother's love can do for a child. David, I also love pancakes. And I love that it took you over 60 years to realize that your mom was setting you up for success. Have there been any other surprises as you've been reflecting on your childhood? In addition to the stories that I was writing and bringing back memories and writing about various things, my wife and I started talking about all this stuff really intensely. And it was really a nice thing for us to reminisce and to share some things maybe we didn't even you know, we've been married 50 years, so it was very nice. And now I have a couple of my friends interested. One of them signed up. And it's all in all, it's been a great experience. Now, Judy Willman shares the story of her ever-evolving relationship with her daughter, Jennifer. When Jennifer was in elementary school, I wrote a free verse poem for her. I called it Walking. Jennifer and I go walking, as we have since she took her first steps. We are the same people, but the walk is not the same. I no longer have to slow my steps, and her hand holds mine gently, where once she clung desperately just to keep upright. I feel her hand in mine, and the baby softness is gone. The lines of her skin are calloused from working the bars at the school playground. I see her beside me, her head now equal to my chest, her steps easy, her independence growing. And I wonder, how much longer will she walk with me? Jennifer was my firstborn. She was like a ray of sunshine bursting into my life. Watching her expand her world was so much fun. First words, first steps, learning to recognize letters and then words. She loved to draw. She loved to help around the house. And she was so darned advanced in everything. I remember getting a flyer in the mail from the school district with info on how to get your child registered for kindergarten. It was a happy little flyer, which, amongst other things, listed the goals to be accomplished during the child's first year in school. All stuff Jennifer had been doing since she was three. As she entered lower elementary school, she started branching into soccer, gymnastics, dance, tap, and piano. Everything was attacked with intensity. And so, after 12 years of this sparkling, energetic, friendly, delightful young companion, Jennifer hit junior high, and both our worlds changed. It was as though I had, almost overnight, morphed from being an acceptable human being into an overwhelming embarrassment. There was nothing I could do that didn't disgust her. My clothes, my hair, her clothes, our house was trash, our furniture was trash. We lived too far from everything. She started yelling at me, 
telling me she didn't want to live with us anymore. If I went along on school field trips, she now put herself at the opposite end of the school bus. She made sure to arrange her school vacations so that she would be a live-in babysitter, basically spending the entire summer at someone else's house. There were long periods of time when we never saw her. And yet, during the entire middle school and high school ordeal, there were moments when the sun broke through. After some particularly vocal standoff, she would come to me crying and say, I'm sorry, Mom. I don't know why I say those things. You need to know that I don't mean them. I love you. And my heart would simultaneously rejoice and break. She was okay. The Jennifer I knew was still in there somewhere, but she was enmeshed in hormones and I couldn't help her. She needed to find her way out on her own. She did, of course, because basically, under it all, she was the same loving, generous human being. I think it happens to most of us. By the time she was in college, we were close friends again, on more equal footing now, adults. And all I can say is, when you are struggling with your child's teen years, hang in there. It's definitely worth the wait. So Judy, Jennifer's definitely going to end up listening to this episode, right? Has she read the story? Oh, she practically cried when I told her that you guys were going to do that. Is there anything else you'd like to say to her? I guess I just want to say thank you for starting me on this journey and for standing with me for the whole thing. It was a fun project, and I think that the book came out absolutely beautifully. And it was great having you by my side for that. Mark Parrish wrote our next story, answering the question, what did you learn from your mom? Mother's Day is such a special day to me. I understand that everyone may not feel that way for circumstances far outside of their control, but I was richly blessed with a wonderful mother. I think we learn a lot more from our moms than we give them credit for. We learn so many things from them by example and observation as little children that we probably don't realize. And yet these very things have been inculcated into our being. As I look back over my childhood and even young adulthood, I'm sure I can trace many of my habits, actions, thoughts, responses, and yes, even my beliefs to my mom. I haven't really thought much about it until this question was posed to me, but I'll try and explain what I know I observed and how I see my mom now through the eyes of an adult child that she helped to raise. My oldest memories of my mom always come with a full, complete belief that she loved me and adored me. And that love came unconditionally. She would discipline me if she had to, but would rather leave that task to my dad. And she often did. I always knew that no matter what happened, my mom would be my most trusted ally and friend. I never doubted her love for a split second. I do not take that foundational security for granted today. If there ever was a woman who had what we would call a mothering instinct, no woman could be greater than my mom. There was nothing she would not sacrifice for me or my siblings. We knew this. Could it be this love that creates in me a desire to be the kind of dad I want to be? My mom was affectionate, even with four 
roughhouse boys, she didn't hold back hugs and kisses and touching our heads and our arms. I still remember her tucking me into bed as an infant and kissing me goodnight. <laughs> Believe it or not, I still remember my mom wiping my butt on the toilet before I was big enough. <laughs> I remember seeing my cousin Joey wiping his own butt and thinking, wow, I guess I need to start doing that now. She would take me in her lap two or three times a week and clean under my fingernails with a bobby pin. It hurt. When she was through, she would kiss my cheek and pat me and say, okay, you're done. Mother taught me how to hold a fork and how not to hold one, how to cut my meat on the plate and how not to cut it. She drilled this into us. All my life up until now, when I see someone holding a fork wrong, I fight the urge to correct them. She taught me how to iron my clothes, how to make a bed right, how to vacuum, how to hang my clothes up properly in the closet, and how to fold them if they were to lay out. She taught me how to put my offering in the offering envelope and how to mark it properly. I knew that giving to the Lord was important to my mom. She taught me how to dial a rotary telephone. It was her that taught me how to tie my shoes and not my dad. Mother was a stickler for using proper grammar. If we ever ended a question with at, such as, where are my pants at? She would always say, between the A and the T. Mother taught me to love poetry from a young age. She would often stand in our kitchen and quote lines from that love-struck maiden. Her drama and voice inflections would make us all smile. She also sang around the house and in church. She had a wonderful tenor voice. As I sat beside her on the pew at church, she sang loudly and with enthusiasm. I just wonder if that possibly rubbed off on me. Much of the genuine love I have for my family comes from my mom. She was far from perfect, and she would admit it. But I observed the love that she had for her parents and siblings all of my life. She taught me to love and respect my grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins as much by example as verbal instruction. She showed a humble, kind respect for the elderly and those in authority. This had a profound impact on my life. I long to see more of that today. I did not see my mom around her aunts and uncles often, but when I did, there was a love, appreciation, and respect that made an impression on me. Of course, there are hundreds of other tiny little things that I learned from my mom. I just read a few days ago in Proverbs that is quite appropriate for this chapter in my book. Proverbs 17, 6 says, children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. As I've aged, I can honestly say I'm proud to have had the mom God blessed me with. It's from the very depths of my heart that I pray I have and will always be the pride of my children, just like mom was. 
to me. Mark, you're a good writer. All of the little details in your story make me feel like I was a guest in your childhood home. When you were gifted Storyworth, did you feel like, oh yeah, I've got this in the bag, I'm a good writer? At first I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure how I would like it. But gee, after about two or three stories, I really, it conjured up in me a lot of memories, you know, that I had uh, forgotten or a lot of memories that I had did remember but hadn't written down. It's been a great blessing for our whole family. Our last story today comes from author Hannah Little answering the question, what is one of your favorite memories of your mom? Betty, no middle name Toby, was born to Helen and Irving Toby on February 6th, 1935 in Bronx, New York. She was the youngest of three children. Estelle was 10 years her senior and Ernie was nearly eight years older. At 30 years old, Helen found herself pregnant with her third child. She said she was considered too old to be having more children and was even forbidden to attend a family wedding with such a big belly. Grandma called my mom her miracle baby. She was struggling with depression at the time, what people quietly referred to back then as a nervous condition. But when Betty was born, her great sadness was lifted. All was right with the world again. Although there was a big gap in age, my mother and her siblings were very, very close. All three were drawn to the arts. Ernie was the comic of the family, going on to be an actor and performing in various community theater productions. He even made it to the big time with a small gig on the national TV soap opera, All My Children. Betty and Stella were creative in other ways. Stella loved to paint and use her hands and even sing recreationally through her life. But my mom had the true vocal talent. Betty Toby would surprise anyone listening with her God-given gift. As an adolescent, she was accepted into the prestigious performing arts high school in New York City, studying under a variety of renowned vocal coaches. At the ripe old age of 16, she took to the stage at Carnegie Hall. Growing up, I remember watching her go off to her own community theater productions every Tuesday evening, many times with her supportive older sister in tow. She even got her children's small parts in the chorus a few times. But there was no doubt my dad was her biggest fan. He was the one always pushing my mom to perform a song or two at nearly every dinner party. I watched my father countless times, silently mouthing the words and cheering her on from the sidelines with a proud grin while she sang an old standard. As youngsters, music played constantly on our big stereo console in the living room. Any given evening, Stevie Lawrence and Edie Gourmet, Sammy Davis Jr., the Ray Connor singers, Burt Bacharach or Barbara Streisand could be heard accompanying my mother's dulcet tones. Her daughters would steal her bloated songbook, which was not well hidden in the seat of our piano chair. Performing for unsuspected company was a frequent occurrence, whether they wanted a performance or not. I secretly hoped one day my mom and dad would discover me and realize I inherited her talent. Sadly, that never came to be. It's okay. I would never have been able to compete anyway. My mom set the gold standard for mothering too. She was everything to us. She was our best friend, our confidant, our mentor and comforter. She loved with abandon and gave us the self-confidence to dream big and never give up. She was kind and gentle, but was our family's true disciplinarian. 
God knows she had cat-like reflexes and could grab our long ponytails in a flash as we ran away after a little back talk. As most teenagers do, we thought she was overly protective, cringing that she would call our friend's parents' house to make sure a grown-up would be on hand and standing guard at that night's party. I did the same thing with my kids many years later. But she was permissive enough to let us spread our wings, allowing my sister April and me to go on a school-sponsored trip to Mexico in the 11th grade with our best friend, Lauren DaCosta, granting us permission to embark on many road trips to Syracuse University to visit Lauren's older brother, Mark. Did I mention he lived in a house full of college-age men? And she put her own worries aside to allow me to travel into Manhattan before the crack of dawn, realizing I was in serious pursuit of my TV career dreams. Those adventures molded me into a self-assured young woman who is not afraid to ask for what she wants. This also prepared me to take on life's greatest disappointments and sorrows. A mother-daughter relationship was easy and comfortable and not full of strife or conflict as many of these relationships tend to be. My only regret is that she left us too early for me to watch our relationship develop into a special kind of friendship, one I am blessed to share today with my own daughters. Grandma Betty would have been the most amazing grandmother, imparting her maternal advice on me and her wise influence on my daughters and nephews. She longed to have babies in the house again. I was a few weeks along with my oldest Ariana when we suddenly lost my mom. I revel in the fact that she was the only person other than my husband, Tim, who I told I was pregnant. I didn't plan on telling her. She wasn't feeling all that well, so I surprised her one Friday morning by calling in sick at the TV station, something I never did. I blurted out our good news. She immediately said she knew it and could tell I was pregnant. Three days later, she was gone, leaving us devastated and grief-stricken. Little did I know this was one of life's greatest disappointments and sorrows she prepared me for. But as I carried my first daughter inside me, I knew she too was heaven sent. Like my own mother, this miracle baby came at a time of great sadness. On that wonderful day in September, all was right in the world again. Sometimes when my mostly grown daughters are back under one roof, I find myself sneaking into their bedrooms to snuggle them close. As I listen to them breathe, I think of my own mother. Even as a young woman, my mom let me crawl into bed with her knowing I was way too old for this kind of behavior. I remember how she smelled. I remember the long, deep sleep creases in the skin on her chest and wondered one day if I'd inherit them. I did. But the one thing I remember most of all was being overly conscious of the feeling that these moments were not only precious, but possibly fleeting. I couldn't be more sad that I was right. But more than her memories will be with me forever. The Buddhists say a memory is like a wave. When it is in front of you, you see it, measure it. You know what it is, it's a wave. And then it crashes on the shore and it's gone, but the water is still there. It goes back into the ocean. Like life here on earth, the wave is just a different way for the water to be, at least for a little while. XO, love moms. a really wonderful experience. I've written most of my life, either professionally or recreationally, but StoryWorth gave me an opportunity to put it all together. I'm one of those, you know, leave a legacy kind of gals. And 
the fact that I can do this for my family, for my children, whether they read it or not, for me, that is just such an honor and such a privilege. And my mom would be thrilled about that. Tana, what's your favorite part about being a mom? So I come from a family of three daughters. One of the most amazing things I guess my husband was able to give me was that I got to have three daughters and I watched their relationship grow into what my relationship with my two sisters are. And that came from my mother, watching the legacy grow and and continue. My oldest just got married and hopefully one day she'll have a daughter or a son, but those things to be able to be passed along would be a wonderful thing. I think moms and daughters are really special. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to get started writing your life stories or want to give the gift of story worth to a mom, daughter, or other loved one in your life, head over to storyworth.com slash podcast. We'll be back in just a few weeks for Dad's Turn in the Spotlight, celebrating Father's Day with more stories from our StoryWorth writers. In the meantime, if you like what you hear, subscribe to the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share an episode with a friend. It makes a huge difference and we'd appreciate it. StoryWorth is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, hosted by me, Krista Baum, and produced by Hannah Ray Leach. We get production help from Jill Granberg. Happy Mother's Day, Jill. And our mix engineer is Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time. 